Welcome back to season five of Plaid Skirts and Basic Black, y'all! Woo! The pod <laughs> Super excited! Yes! The podcast where we try our best not to go off topic and edit out the bouts of overly tired quarantine-induced maniacal laughter. <laughs> I'm Marcia, one half of this moderately caffeinated duo, and my likely over-caffeinated co-host is Shannon! <laughs> Well, Shannon, you've been home with all of your kids, <laughs> like, this whole time, and you're like, I need all the caffeine, yeah. and I just like it. I just like the caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I gave up Starbucks for Lent, so, right? So I was like, here we go. But now, but you know what? Everybody gave up Starbucks for Lent. Boom. <laughs> I'm just saying. I actually tried to go to Starbucks to get my afternoon cold brew, and it, it closed by three. Like I went, it was like three forty-five, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to the drive-through." And I was like, "What do you mean you are closed to me, Starbucks?" <laughs> it was Easter Monday. I was like, "Actually, actually, have you today?" So <laughs> it's okay. So that's why I'm moderately caffeinated. <laughs> so we have a special guest with us today. We would like to welcome Jules Miles. Welcome to the show, Jules. So, you guys have awesome laughs, I tell you. You guys are so great. Thank you. I, my laugh can be very overpowering, but it has nothing on me. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you know what? We'll just I'm just gonna count that as a blessing <laughs> and, and a curse. And a curse for some, but it's okay. So Jules, I have a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Are you black? No, I am not. Oh, I am not what? Well are, well, are you Catholic? I am Catholic. Awesome! Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, so, Jules, tell us, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I am a mom of four, soon to be five. Um, oh, yay! Yes. We love babies on this podcast. We yes. are a pro baby podcast. <laughs> five boys, actually, which is fun. Um, it's been a great quarantine. Um, so, mom of, mom of five boys. Um, I'm originally from Charlottesville, Virginia, um, but I live in Denver, Colorado, with my my sweetheart, my my Ryan, who we've been married ten years um, this fall. Which is awesome. I have two degrees in theology, undergraduate, master's degree in theology, and in my spare time, I like to create podcasts. Have- <laughs> Look at that! Actually, it's so funny. So this whole podcast also has two degrees in theology and likes to create podcasts. So, I know. So, I mean, if you add Shannon's skill to what I have, that's how you get the two degrees in theology. <laughs> I apparently I just like to create podcasts and I have a great laugh. So that's how that works. (laughs) And we're going to go ahead and do we're going to do a weather check. And so what this is, Jules, and just so you understand, and maybe some of our new listeners that are joining us is that we Shannon and I usually check in with each other and we describe weather to be how we're feeling right now at this moment. So. As we asked, what is the weather in your neck of the woods? So, um, Shannon, do you want to start and tell us how your Uh, Shannon, how your Shannon is, how your weather is? (laughs) Tell us about your Shannon weather. We're still in the middle of uh, the quarantine uh, as we're recording this mid-April, and I think today I am feeling like. Um, there's lightning storms, but nothing else. Just every so often, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> and um, I don't mean that in a, a like, woe is me kind of way. But like the, uh, um, I think it was two days ago or two nights ago, I should say, about 24 hours. Like I was up late. I was finally had my alone time watching TV, watching my shows, like not, you know, like you watch your shows with your husband that you watch together and he watches his, I had mine. It was my time (laughs) and I was alone and there were no children. It was great. And then like, I stayed up a little later than I got to. And then around like, I don't know, midnight, I was like, I feel really anxious and overwhelmed and like, and it's okay. Like I was Mm -hmm. just acknowledging that that's how I felt because we're in a world that we can't control and I'm a control freak. So that's not great for me. Um, And, uh, and I just went, okay. And like, and I felt that anxiety like in a very physical way. And I said, I'm going to take a shower. 
because it's warm and it's relaxing and I'm gonna like just bring this to God. I find the shower to be a very like soothing place in which I can talk to God. Um, because like there's not, there's no barriers in the shower. (laughs) And that, and like, but you know, it's like kind of fine, but there's just like crackles of lightning or I might just freak out and like be done with e-learning for the day and decide that everyone's iPad goes away because I'm sleepy or whatever. So, you know, handling it really well. <laughs> you got this, girl. You got this. No, like, or Jules put it before we started recording. You are now homeschooling against your will. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> it, is, it has been, I mean, on the one hand, it's been, I love the flexibility. It's been awesome, like, waking up and just starting whenever we can and the boys kind of finishing whenever they can. And then on the other hand, like, I'm still mom. And they can't make that transition that, no, you have to treat me with respect like you treat your teachers with respect it's like oh no we can just treat you however we want to treat you because <laughs> you're mom <laughs> so like so that that part's hard and it's hard for their little it's hard for them you know like mm-hmm. I I'm constantly telling my husband uh, like I don't think I could have done this when I was when I was eight years old like I Mm-hmm. stay in a house we've been in a house for five weeks now I mean we do walks around the neighborhood and bike rides and stuff mm-hmm. but like five weeks these boys have not seen a single friend mm-hmm. and I, I I think I would have lost my mind as yeah. an eight-year-old like I think I would have lost my mind like yeah. so I have to remind myself that they're like they're doing the best they can we're all just doing the best <laughs> mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. well with that are you ready to share your weather yeah, I know that's actually it's that's great. It's a good I was segue. actually thinking about so the weather out here in Denver today is horrific. It is so cold. It's a high of like twenty five and um and we're probably gonna get close I don't know. Right now it looks like about nine, ten inches of snow we're gonna get. And this is an uh, like that's this crazy. is unusual for Denver. We get snow on Mother's Day all the time, you know, like like I know, I know. It's awful. We're in the Midwest. Why, like, why? I know. <laughs> Like, my boys are freaking out about probably needing to shovel tomorrow morning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I, but I was, I realized I had looked ahead to the weather and, uh, and saw we got snow twice this week at the start of the week and then now, and I was really kind of started to panic. Because my boys are, they can play outside, but not, not in a snow like this. It's so heavy. Mm-hmm. It's so cold. You know, so they last like 20 minutes. So just thinking, all right, I'm going to be in a house all day long with those boys. It's our spring break. So we don't even have school to like distract the kiddos. Mm-hmm. So I, I finally just, I had to, this morning I woke up and I think I was feeling like it looked like outside. <laughs> I was yeah. feeling very cloudy. I mean, that was like the best I can put it. Even my husband was like, are you okay? Like you seem really melancholic. And I just said, I think I'm just gearing up for what is to come today, which is that I am asking these four little boys to stay in the house all day yet again no friends nothing you know and so but then I realized that I don't know how I guess I kind of remember because I lived in Wisconsin for a year mm-hmm. and a half or so I kind of remember in Wisconsin these spring snows kind of coming and going mm-hmm. in Denver it melts right away I mean literally by Saturday they will be in shorts and a t-shirt like they're just it's just kind of (laughs) it just evaporates and it's just gone like it's kind of crazy and so I think I realized when I was praying today that even though I was feeling kind of cloudy I I knew just like all of this with this quarantine I knew that it was fleeting I just was feeling very like a cloudy kind of down really I don't like being cold you know Uh but then knowing that there's like just that glimpse of light peeking through the clouds like we I know that this is fleeting I know that it's passing we'll just we'll just get there well Mm -hmm. like I know we'll just get there so 
That's my that's my weather check. I love these weather checks, by the way. I did these all the time as a camp counselor. Bring them back from the church staff meetings. I have been a youth minister and a camp counselor, so I'm gonna sound. You guys are gonna hate my weather. I apologize because (laughs) I was. I'm kind of having a little bit more sunshiny days. Um, I like sunshine day. Everybody's laughing. (laughs) A little bit of Brady Bunch in there. No. So, do you watch Outlander, Jules? Because I just became obsessed with it. No, but I know enough about the I know enough about the plot. So yeah, she I'm goes super back obsessed. in time. Mm-hmm. And yes. fall in love. Right? It's Shannon's fault. I'm now obsessed with it. Yeah. But, uh, so there's the scene where Jamie says to Claire, "Is like seeing you was like have like the sun coming out on a cloudy day." It's like the best light ever. It's the best light ever. Anyway, so um, that is kind of how I felt these last few days. So. I took two weeks off work when all of this hit when we were like maybe a week into the quarantine and all that stuff. And I was like, I just want to make sure that I am the healthiest I am. I'm going to take these two weeks off. I'm going to self-quarantine. It's going to be great. I might go crazy. It will be okay. I don't know if you know this or not, Jules, but I'm slightly extroverted. Um, (laughs) and, And so I was like, it'll be fine. It's okay. And here's the thing. The not seeing people wasn't so bad. It was the not waking up with the purpose that was awful for me. And I realized, like, yep. after my counseling appointment, he was like, I think you'll be better once you go back to work. Because, like, it was telehealth. So all he just saw me was slumping on my couch and was like, hey, <laughs> life sucks. And he's like, okay. Right? And so I was doing all these things to keep myself busy. Like, right. that was, like, right. But it wasn't enough of a purpose because it really felt like an hour of my day, the things I did. On Saturday morning... It was my first day back at work. And an hour in, I was like, whoo, okay, here we go. (laughs) And so it's really great. And I got to see my work husband today. He bought me lunch. Like, and he buys me meals. And we like actually got to sit and have lunch together because now we're in the same space again. Because before we were living separately too, even though we live in the same house. And so like he brought me chicken nuggets and we got to sit and eat chicken nuggets together. And we talked and I was like, this is a great day. (laughs) It's a sunshiny day. So I'm really, really sorry that your weather is not great, guys. But next week I can be like, y'all, these boys, (laughs) these 10 year olds. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So you know how the sun comes out on a cloudy day when us black girls have allies in the church. Boom. Did it. Made it happen. That was great. Back to you, Shannon. Yeah, so today uh, that we have Jules, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about being an ally in the church, and and we're kind of like co-opting that word ally. But just to to talk about what does it mean to be um, a person, a white person in the church, and to help um, advocate for and be um, an ally for people of color. And um, Jules, like one of the reasons we invited you to talk about this is just because both Marcia and I have been so impressed at how not only you have these like wonderful, amazing podcasts, like the minute I listened to your very first episode of Mystery Through Manners, which was your first podcast, and we'll talk about through all later, um, I just fell in love with it because I, like you, as you kind of talk about, like I love the storytelling podcasts. I love anything that delves into like history and, and um, I am a, you know, a fellow theology nerd. So I was like, yes, I'm in like, this is great. Um, <laughs> That you you're always willing to engage with these very deep and like meaningful questions, but also you had this wonderful series in 2018. Was it 2018? Yeah, on the very end of 2018. Yeah, December. On church, um, yeah. basically just going through American church history and how we are a church of immigrants. And and I remember listening to that, especially as a person of color, and being like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." <laughs> Somebody's yeah. telling this. And um, and you said on your series that that was kind of inspired by, you know, your own experience of the shock of the events that happened in your hometown of Charlottesville in 2016. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit, like, why, obviously, it's your hometown, but why that hit so close to home? And, like, why did yeah. you kind of conceive of this particular series about the immigrant church in response. And I know that was also kind of along the same time as the crisis at the border, which of course is still ongoing, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so really the whole idea of mystery through manners with the name comes from, uh, Flannery O'Connor, um, and her writings. Um, and it's just a quirky, awesome, really 
brash woman, which I really like. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so she has um, a collection of essays called Mystery and Manners. Um, but she just believes when she writes, I, I don't know if you all are familiar with any Flannery's works, you know, and a lot of her writings, but they're very shocking. They're often very violent, um, what she would call grotesque. And uh, I love her idea of just telling the truth, Mm -hmm. the truth of humanity itself. And for her, the truth of humanity is very shocking, right? Because there is a lot of evil in the world. And she was a woman who grew up in the South and saw it Mm -hmm. firsthand. So I thought of this idea for this podcast, one, because there were no storytelling podcasts in the Catholic world, which was so bizarre to me. Ira Glass and This American Life have been around for 25 years. Mm -hmm. 25 years, we have had a chance to put our hat in the ring, and no one was doing it, Mm -hmm. and it was so weird. But the second thing was, uh, it really all came to be, actually, the day, it was like a big brainstorming session with me. And a woman who is a producer at a Catholic media company, because we were thinking we might have partnered together, but instead she kind of just served as a mentor for me. Um, It was the day after the 2016 election, which was a weird time to be in a Catholic newsroom. And and all the numbers are starting to come in about how Catholics voted. And Catholics, again, voted almost 50-50 in that election, which is... um, which is kind of crazy. But for me, I just remember being kind of um, heartbroken that the idea of immigration could be so divisive in our church. And I saw, I would see clips of people, let's say, I don't know, from New York, who clearly had Italian heritage, I'm Italian, mm-hmm. um, making comments about immigrants. And I and I remember just thinking, wait a second, we we wouldn't be here if this wasn't a country of immigrants. I would not be here if this country hadn't kind of opened its arms to my family in the 20s and then again in the 40s when my grandmother came over. So I I just started to kind of pray about how can I just kind of tell the truth in this? Just like Flannery says, right? Tell the truth. And so um, <laughs> it took two years to get the podcast <laughs> off the ground. Um, but in the, in the middle of that, almost exactly halfway through, August 13th, I believe it was, 2017 was the events of Charlottesville. And my mom had been kind of giving me updates because in like the days before, they had been anticipating things just going awry with this rally. My mom works downtown right next to where a lot of the rally took place. And, you know, like they closed her work. And so there was a lot of kind of build up. And I was I was constantly ready and like checking my phone that day. And then I saw a woman die. And then actually technically three people died, right, because two state troopers died in that. I remember that first instinct, that first thing you want to say is this isn't the hometown I love. That's what all my that's what all my friends we're saying, this isn't the town I love. And of course, that's true. Of course, 98% of people are wonderful and good. But then I watched this special, this documentary, The Vice Special. Did you guys see this? I mean, this was, again, right after Charlottesville came out. And Vice News had like a 20-minute YouTube amazing documentary um, about what happened in Charlottesville that day. They had been mainly following around one of the Nazis. I, I think he mm-hmm. ended up being called the crying Nazi. I don't remember this. Everyone focused on that. And I just remember this one moment where they interviewed the head of Black Lives Matter in Charlottesville, this brilliant black woman who was at the University of Virginia. And she said, everyone seems so shocked, but this is Charlottesville. This is Charlottesville. It was like the wind was knocked out of me. I just kept thinking, oh, my gosh, like, who have I not been listening to? Like, who they've been experiencing this? And my first instinct, shamefully, was to try to say, no, no, that can't be right. Why Charlottesville? You know, even though I grew up there, I remember we got like Robert E. Lee's birthday off at school. Like, I don't know why. Not so much in Chicago. (laughs) I remember being told in my ninth grade history class that Robert E. Lee didn't own a single slave. Like, and then getting to college and hearing he owned like a hundred. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what have I been lied to this whole time? So that was the moment for me that I had to take a step back and say the most important role of the storyteller is to hand off the microphone. It is not my story to tell. And I cannot insert my own 
narrative and perception into this story because I am not a person of color living in the South. Like, I'm, I'm not. And, you know, the rally, where this rally happened was all centered on this one ginormous statue of Robert E. Lee on a horse in the middle of the city. And I, I mean, I passed by that statue hundreds hundreds of times right and probably more and never really thought anything of it I mean my family's from Maryland they're northerners I think that we my mom especially always thought it was kind of weird like some of the things you know that were happening but we never we never thought to question the systematic issues at play so I just kind of said, okay, like when Charlottesville happened, there's no reason to be silent anymore. It's time to tell our collective story, right? Our, our story. And for me, that was as a Catholic people, I mean, we couldn't even tell the story of black Catholics, right? I mean, that's a whole other. I was, I was a whole, <laughs> we are trying. Gosh. <laughs> gosh, yeah, I'm going to leave that to you guys. My goodness. Yeah, but we, but for... But I, the, the smallest little part I could play is tell our collective story as a Catholic people. I love history, uh, and I believe in taking history for what it is and, and letting it tell the truth. And that means coming to the very powerful reality that without the church being open to the immigrant population, and specifically what was called the national parish model— which I can explain in a minute, mm-hmm. um, we would not have survived as Catholics in this country. Or we would have been such insignificant minority. I, I just don't know how we would have functioned as a people, you know. I'm sure, you know, there would have, the church stands forever. Like, so there would have been small communities sprinkled throughout, but we wouldn't have had nearly the social impact, especially mm-hmm. I mean, think of the union movement was entirely thanks to the efforts of the church and the church leaders. We wouldn't have had that kind of impact standing up for the rights of workers the rights of mothers, mm-hmm. obviously the rights of the unborn, had it not been for for the fact that the church said we are a church of immigrants, and that is the only way we will survive. Um, do you want me to explain mm-hmm. what the national parish model was? Yes, please. So, I mean, there are many waves of Catholics coming. Um, I mean, the first wave being there were a kind of sprinkle of Catholics in the revolutionary period leading up to the Civil War. First wave of Catholics were the Irish, thanks to the potato famine, right before the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Um, And then came the really fun people. So then came the Italians and the (laughs) the Germans, all these awesome people towards the, the right after the Civil War into the late 19th century, early 20th century, for a variety of reasons. You know, Italians came because of political unrest. Uh, Germans came because of also political unrest. But Germans had more money, so they settled in parts of the Midwest Mm -hmm. in what kind of became known as the German Triangle. The Poles were very poor. They could make it to Chicago, and that's it. But the one signifier, I guess the two signifiers, obviously, one, they were devout Catholics, and two, none of them spoke English. And so the church had to basically come to a decision. When I say the church in America, really up until the 1930s and 40s, the church was almost entirely Irish bishops. And they really, to their credit, had to decide, do we force these immigrants to assimilate in their language? Meaning, do we use English in the liturgy, basically? Or do we allow them to be as they are? And we will speak their language and be their home until they can slowly and frankly naturally form their own subcultures. And praise God, that's what the church decided to do in what was called the national parish model. And so that's why there's these Polish Catholic communities in Chicago and the Irish mm-hmm. Catholic communities in Boston, Italians are in Jersey and New York, you know, I mean, there are places that they found homes. And because of that simple act of kindness, we're going to treat you as you are and speak your language. The church thrived. That is the bottom line. The church thrived. And we're, you know, Catholics are what, 30, 35% of the population now? I mean, that mm-hmm. there's no way that would have happened if Catholics hadn't found a home in the church. And the church, the parish, became the center of their life as a result. To me, it is the ultimate model of how all of us should be, of letting people be as they are. Oh, my gosh, yes. Then making the final episode of that series, being obviously the migration that we're all living now, 
the migration of the Latino people, which frankly are saving our church. We would be a dying population were it not for um, the people coming across the southern border and just wanting, praying that maybe people could make the connection that when they see someone escaping very dangerous situations, you know, on the southern border and in South America, maybe they could see that person and see their grandmother coming mm-hmm. from a dangerous situation in Italy, like my grandmother did, you know, my grandmother escaped World War Two, you know, or they could see their grandfather who would have starved if he stayed in Ireland. But mm-hmm. our country said, come and our churches said, come, you know, it's all about history is about making those connections. And that's, that's what we can learn is, is it's about letting people be be as they are yeah be as they are so thank you that was so beautiful That's so, sure. i seriously think you answered like part of our second question <laughs> for myself like i am a child of both um you know, immigrant family and um, obviously an African-American family. Um, And so uh, listening to that was just a a wonderful way to be reminded of my own heritage, but also to um, just like be reinforced that like there are so many other people out there who Mm -hmm. see and understand what it is to welcome the stranger, right? Because we've all been Mm -hmm. in a sense, a stranger in a strange land, as scripture tells us. So that kind of leads into our our second Mm -hmm. question for you. Um, Just kind of what you think, Jules, it means to be an ally for people of color as someone who is of European heritage. Um, And if there may be anything specific in our Catholic faith that inspires you to that. Pope Francis, um, in for World Communications Day this year, 2020, is all about storytelling. And the whole thing is amazing, and you just everybody needs to read it. World Communications Day, but he says every human being has a divine story, a divine story. And actually, the exact quote he says: um, "Every human story has an irrepressible dignity. Every human story has an irrepressible dignity." So when I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking about you know just what I mentioned earlier, which is the hardest. Thing, but the most ethical thing to do as a storyteller is to hand the microphone off, right? Mm-hmm. This is not my story to tell. You know, I on um, Claire's podcast back in the fall, Catholic Feminist, at one point she said, um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a group of white women and they're all talking about how racism is non-existent basically or something like that (laughs) you know it's 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 comical but it's also heartbreaking because it means we're not doing a good enough job of actually listening to stories of people of color right Mm -hmm. i had a really powerful moment gosh that was really imprinted on my heart i guess i was 20 or 21 one of my roommates in college was this awesome black woman Courtney and we were wa- I think we were watching Gilmore Girls or something and um, we're sitting on the couch and uh, I know it was so good and Courtney and I we were like seeing girls of, of Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. and um, this commercial came on and it was one of those movies I don't even remember what movie it was but it was one of those movies that was like the white teacher goes into the black neighborhood and like stay <laughs> was it the Freedom and Riders I'm, movie with Hillary Swank I don't remember what it was Hillary Swank, that who it was? Yes. Yep. Okay, that sounds familiar. I know that movie. Okay, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I remember, like, we're just, like, hanging out, and I just kind of mentioned, oh, I'd love to see that movie. I love a feel-good movie kind of thing. And Courtney kind of slowly puts down her, her spoon. She's eating cereal, remember? And she goes, no one in this house is going to see that movie. <laughs> and I was like, why? Why is wrong? It's a true story. It's like, it's like dirty, but she said something like just another white savior movie and I was like what are you talking about Courtney it's a true story like and she was like Jules do you know how many black men and women come into their communities and made such a mass impact and I'll never forget and she said what about our story and I'll never forget as long as I live I'm sure she totally has forgotten it but it was this simple moment I realized, yeah, you're right. Like, they don't want to tell that story, you know, that whoever they is, the movie industry, whoever. And that was that moment that kind of slowly planted that seed that when we, years later, started this journey of this podcast, the most unethical thing I could do is try to co-opt 
something else story the best thing i could do is to give the microphone off and to say it's your turn i am not going to speak on behalf of women of color because I'm, I'm not a woman of color i could be an ally in that i can hand off the microphone and i can say this is a story that needs to be told because one of the things i've found in our church too this is a symptom of of what's happening in our world too is people don't want to dwell on the past right you hear that all the time don't dwell on the past dwell on the past and i just think that's nonsensical but that's how else are we to learn right mm-hmm. how else are we to grow i mean georgetown university exists because it sold their soul yes. like, yeah it's real it's real <laughs> man it's real I just you have to you have to acknowledge that I can't imagine um, not being willing to engage in in our collective story but again for me being an ally is I I can't speak on behalf of it I have to do my due diligence to hand off a microphone like if someone if it wasn't you ladies if it was someone else calling me and saying hey let's talk about an immigration series let's talk about being allies of people of color I'd say actually you should probably talk to an actual person <laughs> <laughs> yep. I do my best to, to, to speak with dignity of the human person but I don't I don't have experience as a black woman you know so I think that for me is it's just being an ethical storyteller right just like Pope Francis said the irrepressible dignity of each human story that means we have to we have to have the humility to pass off the microphone that's just the bottom line well I would also say that part of it too I don't know if you agree Shannon is that right pass off the microphone but I feel like the fact that you're offering the platform not that you're believe me I don't know white savior here um (laughs) but at the same time people who look like you probably aren't in a position to listen to the stories of people who look like us. And I feel that even offering that, like say like pass off the microphone, but offering that platform in the first place is really important. Or the like the fact that you even said just like, hey, talk to a person of color is like, oh, I never would have thought about that. Because what because in the end of the day, it's not bad that they didn't. It's they're like, well, you seem to know a lot. And so I'm going to ask you because you know a lot, but you the fact that you're like, no, there's someone who knows more. And I think that's also really important too. It's like, don't fail to acknowledge that you also have a, a way that you can share part of the story and then say, this is where you get more. And I think that's where it's going to happen because here's the thing. I have no problem being heard. I have no problem making myself seen and heard. Um, it's not like, that's not, it's not an issue for me. I think that there are situations in which people are not open to seeing me and open to hearing me. And it's as sad as it is until I get a platform by a, another person. And that's just how that is. And like there are parishes I used to work for. I was the only black person in that parish like the only black person in that parish. I tell this story all the time. Well, I've, I don't know if I've told it here before. I was moving offices. I was moving to another office. Like I was, I was moving to our big youth room. I was in the school at first. So it was like nighttime. I had time. I was just moving my stuff, going along about my day. And this lady comes from the Adoration Chapel. And she's like, oh my gosh, you're the youth minister, right? I've never seen her before in my life. But what did you know? You knew the youth minister was black. And so she figured that was me in this room. And we talked and I was in my, showing her the space, the youth room and my new office. And a man came in, like in a rage. And he's like, what are you doing in here? And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? I was like, what are you doing in here, sir? Right, and, like, and he's like, he's like, you are in here, and I was like, oh, I'm the youth minister. This is my space, and he goes, I saw you. You were in the school, and I was coming. In. I followed you, but I couldn't get in because the door was locked. And I go, yeah, I have a key to the school. I have access. You do not have access, so you did not get in. And he's like, I just want to know what you're doing here, right? Never seen this man in my life, right? And I, these are the words I say to him. I say to him, I'm the youth minister. This is my space. He's like, I don't know why you're here. And the woman who was with me, a white woman goes, she's the youth minister. This is her space. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. It was so upsetting. She was upset. She was like, what is up? And everyone, everyone in the parish, like after, later I went, I told them like, hey, this is what happened. And they checked the cameras. And so they had cameras. To see the cameras later, I saw the playback of it. He was in a rage walking in. They saw from the cameras, like he was ready to hurt me because he didn't think I had a place there. Like I was threatening to his space. But even if I told him, like the evidence was, I have a key. That's why I got in. You did not have a key. That's why you cannot follow me. Thank the Lord. Also, I'm in this space. 
because I'm moving my stuff, I didn't get a voice. Like I was seen, right? And I was heard, like I used my voice, but it wasn't heated until a white person had to speak for me that he also did not know. Like he did not know that woman. Like I, I get you say like pass off the microphone, but it's like in some instances I need permission to use the microphone. To me that just sucks. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That just right. sucks. I, I, <laughs> like I don't, I wish... I wish there was a way that we could have these kinds of conversations without someone's first instinct. Truly, people I know probably thinking, oh, it's probably just all in your head. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like we're not even given permission mm-hmm. to have these kinds of conversations anymore about mm-hmm. these very deliberate and horrific acts of racism in, our, in your everyday life, you know? And that I think for me, the balancing act as a teller, you know, hardest thing that immigration series was trying to be an objective historian when what I really want to do is be like, you see, stop behaving this way. I mean, that's like, honestly what you, I wanted to be like. So, you know, it's a weird balancing act as a storyteller, especially in podcasting, because you want to be as objective as possible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, I remember in that immigration series, I just wanted to be like, hey, see our collective mm-hmm. history as a people. Um, and, you know, it's so I think it's always so hard. You know, you say giving a platform and we're a believer in that. I'm sure we'll talk about Ruah in a minute. That was something when Amanda and I got together to talk about our vision for Ruah. We knew that the only way we could ethically do it right was to provide a platform for as many kinds of voices as possible. And we still, to be honest, um, you know, for the podcast Real Storytellers, we still struggle with this. We're still kind of constantly looking for diverse voices and not just in race, but also age, for example. Yeah. That's one that I always struggle with. I'd love to get older women and, and obviously younger women on. You know, this was our first season. We featured um, a, a woman who was divorced. And it was the most popular episode we've ever had. And it was like people were thirsting for for a story like hers. Um, you know, divorced women are often so ostracized in our church um, and also feel like they don't have a voice. You know, so just to be able to give her, like you said, a platform to share that story. So crucial to us. Again, we we are so blessed because Catholics looks we are so different, right? Our diversity is our strength. Set aside all the political nonsense that seeps into the walls of our churches, like just our collective <laughs> cultural. I mean, I remember one of my favorite moments ever was uh, I went to a black Catholic church in Philadelphia, and I thought this is the greatest <laughs> liturgy I've ever been through in my life. <laughs> People absolutely love Jesus. You know, I was so excited. And, and, and it, to me, that diversity is our strength. But I, as a white suburban woman in the suburbs of Denver, I cannot tell the story of, of a black Catholic woman in Philadelphia or wherever. You know, I just can't. I can do my best to give, a, just like you said, Marcy, to give a platform. Um, whether that's to tell the collective story, like we did with Ministry and Manners. I mean, that that immigration series was personal to see because there's a big focus on Italian, which is the bulk of my, my heritage. Um, but that final episode is about the current migration of our Latino brothers and sisters. Um, and that story was incredibly hard to tell. And I made sure that I wasn't the one to tell it, right? You know, I called the head of Hispanic Affairs, the USCCB. I called the wonderful people at the Kino Border Initiative who um, are working at the border every day. Like, my best thing I can do to put together an honest and beautiful story is to yeah to give a platform i guess my question though is like as best as we can when we try to tell these stories they still always incomplete you know me telling the story of the latino experience coming across the border right now the, the what historians call the fourth migration it's still I don't know. I don't think disingenuous is the right word, but there were moments where I would tell my husband, I'm not, I'm not a Latina woman. Like, how do I, you know, like, what do I have to tell this story? You know, I mean, there's always that tension with, with like anyone telling a story. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I have certainly experienced that myself, just being a person of African descent, but also being light skinned, having a very sort of like white appearance. Um, You know, like I frequently have black people tell me like, well, you could pass. So like, what are you really doing here? It's like, well, this is my culture. These are my people. Like, do you want me to just forget you? 
Like, we don't want to do that. You know, like, I think that one of the things that I experience in a real way with having that sort of privilege of light skin is that there are so few people who are willing to even acknowledge the fact that, like, they should not be the one telling the story. Yeah. Um, That, like... Just asking those questions, I think, is really important to say, like, is this my story to tell? You know, like, I've never had the experience that Marcia had of, like, being in my workplace and people in a Catholic church saying, like, you don't belong because I look like them. Mm -hmm. You know, I have had the experience of people telling me things that I'm like, if you knew who I really was, (laughs) it would not be something to say out loud right now. (laughs) I think part of it is acknowledging that people are trying to come from a place of goodness and trying to connect to God. But I think that there There is a place in which um, those of us who have white privilege can, you know, start to create spaces so that people who are of darker skin are able to step into those spaces. Yeah, you know, I like I like that. I think the other issue, too, that I've been just praying about a lot recently and, and trying not to come from a condescending perspective. But when I look at like, a, I don't know, like a conference and there's not a single person of color. I mean, like truly as a speaker, like and, and it makes you, you know, I always kind of like write these angry letters to conference organizers. Like, what are you all <laughs> thinking? <laughs> it's a part of that. Like, I think that we've also just forgotten how to even think about that, how to think about asking those questions. The first thing that we as white people need to learn is to take a step back and say, is everyone represented here? Is are all stories being told honestly and being represented, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, an ongoing thing. Just the idea that we as a church have been one way for so long, just as our country has been, um, that like yeah. we, we are catching up with that too. This is not meant to be a, an indictment on anyone in our church, but like I think particularly of like conferences or things like that. And I do this too when I'm planning events. Like the first thing we think about is like who's got the orthodoxy, right? Like rather than who's got the story we need for this community. Um, yeah. And those two things like can go hand in hand. <laughs> like we can all yeah. be orthodox and like diverse and telling different stories. And that sort of starts to limit the pool. Um, because we think of the people who we know are going to be dynamic and, you know, not going to contradict what the church teaches. Like, we certainly don't want that happening. This is something that I challenge myself on as someone who works in ministry all the time is to say, like, am I using orthodoxy as a shield to limit my openness to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I think that's a question we really need to ask ourselves as a church, myself included, because I do it all the time. Right. Well, we forget about the also the dual importance of the lived experience of the faith, right? It isn't just it isn't just what we are proclaiming in truth. It's also what we have lived as a gospel people, and that looks yeah. different for everybody. And you know, everybody that looks different, and and cultural and. Ethnic diversity plays a part in our story. It just does. Like mm-hmm. we can't, we can't deny that. We can't try to push it down. Um, and and I think that's the. And now, to be fair, I think we're slowly starting to get it. You know, like I, I remember at the latest, uh, some a big Catholic conference. I was impressed that they had as many people of color as they did. For example, yeah. <laughs> it still probably wasn't enough, but it was a point. Today, I think we're starting to acknowledge yeah. the importance of sharing that lived experience of the faith. And that's yeah. really what it is. It's that that is, yeah, yes, like we must proclaim truth, mm-hmm. um, you know, what you said, orthodoxy, but it must also be under this umbrella of we are human and we have a human story to tell. And that human story looks, looks different mm-hmm. for all of us. Um, yeah, because I always get a little kind of turned off when people um, don't even think that background matters or cultural diversity mm-hmm. matters or mm-hmm. any of that. And of course, that's integral to a part of who we are as storytellers, as as people a part of this of, of the greatest story ever told, right? Salvation yeah. history. Before we get into the offertory, our favorite part of the podcast, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have any closing thoughts, 
when we were doing our Echoes and Hope series, like my last question was like, what would you say of the church as a black person? Like, and so I guess the question for you, like, what would you say of the church as a white person? (laughs) (laughs) We're doing great, yeah. (laughs) Representation (laughs) matters. he's ever written is this World Communications Day address. I think everyone needs to go read it. It's so powerful. It's very brief, um, but it's all about how we come together to share a collective story, the story of, of a people, right? A people journey. And that to me is, is the heart of, of my ministry, I guess you could say, teaching people how to share their story well. Um, but it also means having to, as a church, as an ally, I'm really honored by that. It's very unworthy. Very unworthy. But I think that the best thing we can do is to allow people to share their stories. Whether that's what you were saying, Marcia, mm-hmm. giving people the platform. You know, we've talked about Claire, sweet Claire. She's really good at this of making sure diverse voices are heard. So whether that's giving people a platform or not being afraid to venture into those tricky subjects that no one likes to talk about, like racism, like cultural and ethnic diversity, and sharing the story of how we failed and what we can do better. Bottom line. That's just the bottom line. Well, Everyone I'm, read the address. Read the address. Read the address. It's so good. <laughs> I'm excited. Like, if you're that excited, I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, what may happen? Like I'm not a wordy person. I like brevity, and he is very good at being brief. His Irby at Orby is also, was also one of the best things I think he's ever written address like i mean we watched it in italian obviously we had no idea what he was saying and then went back later and read it and we're like tears my husband and i i mean he's what in his late 80s and these intellectual insights of his are like the best that he's given this year so what is the offertory i'm really excited (laughs) you're about to find out it's our favorite part it's our our moment to do recommendations and things like that So now it is time for the offertory. This is the time where we say, take my life and our wallets and let it be. (laughs) And we (laughs) offer up all the things to you all that Shannon and I have tried and we love and can't wait for you to try and love. So Shannon, why don't you start us off? What do you have to offer us today? So I have many things. I'm just going to start listing them. Reese's peanut butter cups slash Reese's eggs. <laughs> so good. Post Easter. I I love them. I was just talking to Eric about how like the mm-hmm. chocolate to peanut butter ratio is so great and then the peanut butter is more salty than sweet. And it's perfect. It's, Reese's peanut butter cups. They, so <laughs> good. So good. In addition, Starburst jelly beans. Enough said we don't say. Oh man. And then the third thing I'm going to recommend, um, I just picked up, because I wanted to watch a movie on there, a subscription to Acorn TV, which is like the, it's like all the BBC and Canadian and Australian stuff. It's like their PBS or yes. whatever. And it has all the period dramas, all the people talking in accents and having mm-hmm. indignant moments over comedy of errors and manners. Love it. It's wonderful. <laughs> so I bought myself a pour over coffee craft where it's like the glass cylinder and you have like the filter and you just pour the hot water so that is part like it's been so great like I love it because it's part of my morning ritual and it's teaching me delayed gratification so it's like I put on my tea kettle and then I fill up my you know with like I have a little four cup one and then when it's ready I kind of wait a little bit and then I pour it over and it just it's so good this is what I, this is the coffee. This is the life. This is like, (laughs) this is where we are. This is the perfect amount of coffee. And it's been really, really good because when I get Starbucks for Lent, I was like, I am not getting an appropriate amount of caffeine. Like this is difficult for me. And cause Starbucks coffee has a lot more caffeine. Let's be real. Like whatever they do and put all the magic in it, like whatever that is. And so I got the pour over filter and I'm loving it. And then also like a whole throwback cafe Bustello coffee. It is normal coffee. Like it is a normal priced coffee. And I've been singing Santa Fe from rent because they go Bustello, yeah. Marlboro, 
bananas by the bunch. <laughs> so in one shopping trip, in one shopping trip, I bought, and I didn't even realize it. I felt like cereal and I always get banana and I had my Cafe Bustello and I had a box of Captain Crunch, a bunch of bananas and Cafe Bustello. <laughs> and I had to take a picture. I was like, Bustello, Marlboro. I mean, I don't smoke, so I didn't get Mal Marlboros. Yeah. And I was like, bananas by the bunch. <laughs> it was like so great. So pour over coffee crafts and it's just... Just nice in the Cafe Bustello. So yeah, yeah. That, that's what I have to offer. What about you, Jules? Oh, I get to do? Okay, yeah. so I was going <laughs> to say Starburst Chili Beans. I love Starburst Chili Beans. I can eat Starburst Chili Beans all the time. I know. Um, I also love period dramas. It's really wonderful. <laughs> like, the, the 20, 2009 Emma is oh. one of my favorites to watch. <laughs> I love her. I mm -hmm. love the Mr. Knightley in that one. I'm really picky about how they cast Mr. Knightley yes, because yes. he'd be really awful or he could be amazing. And that one's amazing. So mm -hmm. that's really wonderful. You know, I will say this Lent, or really this quarantine, because they really have coincided, which is kind of amazing. Um, I have gotten really into silly. I'm a big fan of silly. Not like necessarily, I mean, yes, it's comedy and certainly not vulgar, but like just people who do silly really well. So we've been watching a lot of Parks and Recreation. So good I told my husband last night or maybe it was two nights ago we were watching and I was saying this show is so brilliant they have so many good jokes but I don't know why I love Andy Dwyer so much the character is <laughs> oh, yes. so great so great and it's it's the silly factor it's like just the right uh -huh. amount of silly it's like a sweetness uh -huh. I think Catholics take themselves way too seriously uh, yeah. I think we don't <laughs> know stories well like we have just not figured it out a lot of other people have and we have not as catholics mm -hmm. um maybe jim gaffigan and like that's about it like, so <laughs> I, yeah and so i like a big I have just really fallen into that this lent like letting myself just laugh and so parks and recreation um in the office obviously is like classic um there's this show on USA that I started re-watching it's my probably my all-time favorite show it's called Sight <laughs> I was like oh I was like is she about to say it did you see me trying to look at you Shannon I was like Shannon she's about to say it She's about to I, say oh it. Oh my gosh. You don't understand. Are you guys psychos? We are. Are you guys are psychos? We are. You don't understand. Jules. I'm literally rewatching it right now. Like, Jules. <laughs> we love I Psych so God. much. Like, we say we say psych things to each other. Like, we love Psych. Yes. We did an episode on yes. Psych yes. a few yes. seasons ago. Yes. Season two, yes. we did the exorcism episode because we talked about exorcism <laughs> and we watched Psych. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you ladies have no idea. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. You have no idea how much that show means to me. I've seen every episode like 10 times. Well, thank you, Jules, for that recommendation. So you can follow us on social media at PSBB Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at StylishlySia. You can follow Shannon at... At Team Quarter Black. And you can follow Jules... Mystery Manners Podcast or at Rua Storytellers. Yes, Rua. R-U-A-H. Rua! <laughs> right? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> you can email us at flatskirtsandbasicblack at gmail.com. We want to say thank you so much for God the Father for making us in your own image and likeness. Thank you for the diversity of the church. I want to say thank you to Jules for sharing your story and your mission and your platform, girl. Um, and also your silliness. We always appreciate the silliness. There are a lot of shenanigans over here on our end. Um, I want to say thank you to Shannon for being a wonderful co-host. Right back at you. <laughs> Thanks to all of our listeners for sticking us sticking with us every week and sharing our podcast with others. We'll see you next week and have a great day. Bye.